Welcome to the November 2020 edition of Beef Monthly. I'm Dr. Ron Luminator, Beef Extension Specialist in the Department of Animal Science at Purdue University. In this month's edition, highlights include updates on the impact of COVID-19 on the beef industry, pricing corn stalks, squeeze shoot safety, a producer question on which supplement feeds to use, winter management tips for both spring and fall calving herds, and upcoming programs and events. In this month's headline news, we're going to start with talking about COVID-19 cases rising. And what that's resulted in is big buying at the grocery stores. They're not calling it a panic buying yet, but in some places the grocery store shelves are pretty empty. And Iowa State has just published an, an article dealing with pricing corn stalks for grazing, harvesting, or unharvested in the field. In addition, they have created an Excel spreadsheet to help make your own calculations. The URL for this information has been placed in show notes below. Dr. Darrell Peel, ag economist from Oklahoma State University, has reported that beef demand has remained relatively strong throughout the pandemic. He projects challenges for the beef industry throughout the winter, however. The shift from summer beef demand to winter demand has him concerned since food service is more typically emphasized in winter months. The resurgence in the pandemic and additional restrictions on in-restaurant dining is a concern. Ample supplies of beef, pork, and poultry will also add market price pressure. And now, a word from our good friends at Corteva. Your land is more than a business. It's a heritage that has been passed down from those who tended it before you, by those who shaped it, changed it, and cared for it. Your land has a legacy, one that you carry on, but also one you build on. At Corteva AgriScience, we are the stewards of a lasting legacy. We have a responsibility to Dow AgroSciences to maintain the relationships and trust they built and to build upon those foundations. To help you care for your land, to provide innovations that help you protect the hard work and investment you've poured into it. To help you build a legacy that can be passed on for generations to come. Corteva AgriScience. In this edition, we're going to spend some time talking about handling facility safety, and this is part two. Last month, we talked about the crowding tub, and this month, we're going to talk about the squeeze chute itself and the safety around it. One of the first things that we need to think about before we start handling cattle is to get your equipment in order. Make sure that you've got good maintenance on, a, on your equipment. And, and as an example, all right, if you can see this, all right, this bolt is loose. This bolt needs to be tightened, all right. Back here, if you can see this movement, it's, it's really, I mean, I can move it, but I can't move it easily, all right. This needs to be lubricated. And 
other places where we've got friction, all right, that, that we need the equipment to work freely, all right? So that's number one. Number two, you need to make sure that you have all of your supplies that you're going to use for that day, whether it be vaccines or antibiotics or needles and syringes and AI equipment and, and dewormers and branding irons and, and all those things have got to be prepared for and ready so that whenever we bring animals in, animals are not standing here, okay, under stress, any longer than they absolutely have to have. All right, so make sure that you've got good equipment, it's in good repair, and you've got all of the supplies necessary for that day's activities. Now, as animals approach the squeeze chute, some of them have a tailgate. And I'll show you how that works here in just a second. But this tailgate really prevents the second animal from crowding into the first animal's space, all right? So we'd like to close that. The next thing, the next feature of a chute is a palpation gauge, all right? And I would highly recommend any producer that has a squeeze chute also has a palpation cage on the back of it, all right? What it does is it allows you to get access to the back of the animal if you want to take a blood sample, for example, from the tail vein or you want to do an artificial insemination, or you want to do a preg check, or you want to castrate bull calves, all right? This access is really a handy feature. From a safety perspective, make sure that these gates are latched, all right? And there's different latch mechanisms on different chutes, but make sure that it's latched. The other thing that's really nice about most palpation cages is that I can actually open this gate and lock it to prevent the animal, the second animal, from coming forward. When I'm in here trying to palpate a cow or castrate a bull calf, I don't want that next animal to be on, breathing over my shoulder. All right? So a couple of safety features is make sure that this is latched correctly and secure, all right, when animals are entering, all right, and then once an animal gets head gated, okay, you can, you can actually close this and it gives you some safe s space to work, all right. So now the animal moves forward, okay, and ideally this kind of works best if you've got two people, all right, somebody that can kind of move animals forward, work back here, and there would be a second person maybe manning the head gate. And from an animal flow standpoint, it's really nice if one animal goes out and the next animal is following it, okay? So it's kind of a leader-follower kind of a situation. Hard to do when you're doing this by yourself and be in two places. Some squeeze chutes will actually have the head gate mechanism be able to be controlled from the back of the chute, all right? This one is not set up that way. This one has the head gate only operated right here, all right? Now, from a head gate standpoint, you want to open that head gate wide enough that it encourages the animal to come forward, but ideally, you'd like for it to not be so open that whenever the animal comes forward, it kind of catches its shoulders, all right? It gives you more reaction time. I really like this head gate from the standpoint, if you can, if you can look at how this is designed, this has a ratchet mechanism, 
Okay? That, so I refer to that as a positive latch. Okay? It can't pop open. All right? Okay? Every time I, I tighten it, all right, it is in a positive latch situation. And I want to get that so that it's on the neck of the animal without having too much pressure on the animal's neck, all right? So I don't want the animal to build it back out. I want it to be able to catch behind its ears, all right? But the shoulders then keep it from going too far forward. In this month's Ask Dr. Ron, the producer asked the question, I have what I think is some pretty good hay and some hay that I'd categorize as mediocre. Do I need to supplement these hays? Well, the first step is really to get a good forage sample. All right? That takes about 20 probes per lot of hay to be able to minimize the amount of variation. And then send that combined set of probe samples to a certified laboratory for each lot of hay that you have. In show notes below, I've listed a, the URL for a list of forage testing labs. The next step then, after I get my forage analysis back, is to determine which nutrients need to be supplemented. Is it primarily energy or protein that I need? I use this table, okay, as a guide for how do I categorize the haze that I have to the cows during different stages of production, all right? So for example, in this table, if I've got a hay that tests 61% TDN, fits pretty nicely into the mature cow early lactation ration. Fits reasonably good in the first calf heifer early lactation as well. And so you can kind of look at how those different hays might fit into different production stages so that I can minimize supplementation. So the TDN is up at the top and adjusted crude protein values are down at the bottom. And I typically use an 8-10-12 rule, 8% crude protein for mid-gestation, 10% for uh, uh, late gestation and late lactation, and 12% for early lactation. And so that's a pretty good rule of thumb if you're looking at the protein values. In this table, I've listed some commonly used supplements, and while this table might be a little bit small in terms of its print, basically it has energy supplements at the top, which would be things like corn, corn silage, corn skins, uh, hominy, soybean hulls, etc. Down in the bottom part of the, the table, it has supplements that would meet both energy and protein for things like dry distiller's grains or dry corn gluten feed, or soybean meal. Those tend to fit into uh, the higher protein category. So once I've decided, okay, what I have in terms of hay, what I need to supplement to augment that to meet the requirements of cows during different stages of production, then my next challenge is to determine which is going to be my cheapest source of supplemental feed. And so what I've done here is I've got corn, soybean hulls, corn gluten feed, and soybean meal. Okay, and at the top part of this table, I've got it priced on a dollars per pound of protein basis. And so if, if you, I think what you can see in that last column is that if I'm using corn as a protein source, 
it's really, really expensive, and I've got to feed a lot of it to meet the protein requirement because corn doesn't have a lot of protein. It's got a lot of energy, but not a lot of protein. Soybean meal, on the other hand, has a relatively high protein value at about 40, 45% crude protein on a NAS-fed basis, and it becomes one of the cheaper sources of protein, at least in this example. Down at the bottom, if energy was my main concern, then corn looks really, really good on a dollars per megacal of energy basis. It's my cheapest source of supplemental energy, okay, based on the prices that I used here. A couple comments, however, if you're going to use corn as an energy supplement, make sure that you limit it to less than 0.3% of body weight if you're feeding it with a high forage diet. And the reason for that is, is that when I go above about 0.3% of body weight, I will start to drop the rumen pH, and that will start to have a negative effect on the fiber digestion. So an example of this would be a 1,300-pound cow times 3.3% of her body weight. I, can, I should probably not feed much more than 3.9 or 4 pounds of corn per head per day, all right, because of that drop in rumen pH. Soybean hulls, on the other hand, is a highly digestible fiber. It does not have starch in it, and so, like corn, for example, it's, you've got a highly digestible fiber. The problem is, is that soybean hulls are a tightly compressed pellet, and as those pellets hit, to the, hit the liquid of the rumen, they will expand seven to eight times their size, and we can end up with some bloat. So my rule of thumb is to limit soybean hulls to less than 1% of body weight. Again, using that 1,300-pound cow as an example, that means that a 1,300-pound cow would get a, no more than 13 pounds of soybean hulls per head per day. Now, when we know the forage analysis, we can match forage to best meet cow requirements to minimize supplemental energy and protein, okay, and out-of-pocket expenses. We can determine which type of supplement is needed, whether it's an energy or a protein supplement, and we can determine the cheapest alternatives. Strategically supplementing to optimize performance and profitability. In this month's management tips, we're going to start off talking about sampling hay for nutrient analysis. And we we addressed part of that issue in, in the Ask Dr. Ron segment. A second item is coal stresses just around the corner. So think about ways that we can minimize coal stress and windbreaks, whether they be natural or man-made, okay, can be of significant value in terms of reducing the maintenance requirements of these cows. In show notes below, I have listed uh, an article uh, on portable windbreak designs that might be of interest to some of you. The next category is that now that we've had some killing frost, it's a great time to be deworming cattle. Another issue is to prepare for the next grazing season. Think about getting your soil test. We've got a pretty nice fall so far, and so going out and, and getting soil tests would be a great idea. Adding soil amendments as, as the weather allows, okay, so N, P, and K. Uh, lime for adjusting your pHs, etc. Okay, if you're going to frost seed next spring, this would be the one time that overgrazing would be recommended, and that is really to reduce the amount of 
um, competition of the established grasses with whatever you put in in terms of the overseeding. And typically the overseeding would be something like red clover, maybe a little bit of white clover uh, next February or March, okay, as a frost seed. Another management tip would be to winterize, all right? Think about your water resources. You know, if you've got shallow buried lines, okay, you might want to disconnect those lines, winterize them, blow those lines out so we don't get freezing. Also, make sure that you turn on your electric heating elements, okay, and your automatic waters if you've got those. Make sure that you've got enough insulation in your waters, okay, that, uh, you know, they don't freeze. Think about your equipment and adding uh, antifreeze levels, okay, up to a level that uh, will support, uh, you know, radiators that stay thought out. Adding antigel to your diesel tanks, plugging in your tractors, and don't forget to put your rain gauge away. I typically forget that one. In spring calving cow herds, okay, now is a great time to body condition, body condition score your cows and make some nutritional adjustments so that these cows calve in a body condition score five. We know that the calving body condition is really, really critical in terms of minimizing the postpartum and estrus period and optimizing early season conception rates. Now is a great time to preg check your cows if you haven't already done that and get rid of those cows that, uh, you know, don't, maybe they're late calving cows, maybe they're cows that failed to get pregnant, uh, maybe there's some old unsound cows, uh, arthritic cows, cows that have got uh, poor teeth. All right, now is a good time to make those keep call decisions as well. And now is a good time to make that first round replacement heifer selection. Now that you've got most of the calves across the state are probably weaned out of the spring calving cow herds now. And, and selecting replacement heifers is really a good, good opportunity. In the fall calving herds, Thanksgiving is a popular time to start the breeding season. That gives you an early September calf. Make sure that your bulls are capable of breeding cows. and In other words, do a breeding soundness evaluation on these bulls if you haven't already done so. Time's getting short. And evaluate and correct any problems with your handling facilities, particularly if you're going to be start thinking about uh, using any AI technology, uh, estro synchronization technology, and making sure that you've got all your breeding supplies, your semen, your OB lube, your drugs, um, including your cedars, if you're going to use those, um, your palpation sleeves, um, uh, your sheaths for your AI gun, and uh, estrich detection patches. In this month's upcoming programs and events, we're going to kick off with a short interview between Barry Wessner and Matt Clays talking about Hoosier Beef Congress, which is scheduled for December 4 to 6 at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. Welcome to Beef Monthly, and we're going to take a few minutes here to talk about the up-and-coming 2020 Hoosier Beef Congress event that's going to be going on here the first weekend in December 
With me today is Barry Westner, and Barry is the co-chair of this large educational livestock event. Barry, thanks for coming in and being willing to discuss what's going to be going on. And I'm, I know the burning question on everybody's mind is with the COVID-19 pandemic, and is this event going to happen the first weekend in December? Good. Well, thanks, man. I'm glad to be here, and that is the burning question of the day. My phone's been hot today, and so is the one down at the IBCA office, uh, especially after the governor's press conference yesterday afternoon. And to dispel any rumors that might be out there, we absolutely are moving forward in a positive direction to have this year's event. Obviously, there's going to be some things that look different. Uh, you know, we don't know and can't predict what's out in front of us, but we are we are very, very encouraged that this event will go on as planned. Uh, there's going to be a few changes, uh, specifically uh, the auction, the cattle auction. Uh, we're not going to have our show ring or our sale ring down there in the corner and pack all those people in there. We're going to have Walton Webcasting will be videoing those cattle on uh, Friday when we actually show them. And then they'll get them in sale lot order, and, and we're looking at different locations to move that out of the cattle barn itself and then uh, project that up on uh, large TV screens where we can socially distance people. Uh, you might be looking or talking to some people through some plexiglass in some different places, and, and we've got some preliminary other plans to, to change some things to try to minimize the contacting just as much as we possibly can and not have people standing in lines. Yeah, I know the, the committee's been working really hard to make sure that the safety of the exhibitors as well as the volunteers and everybody that works there is going to go uh, off well so that we don't uh, ha have it very much risk with this event. Now, when the, can the cattle arrive? Will it be typical and weighing, checking in as usual? Yeah, normal arrival time, uh, I don't have that right off the top of my head. Wednesday evening there can be some cattle arriving at the, at the uh, fairgrounds. Thursday is obviously the big day where uh, we're going to start processing things through the scales, uh, that being uh, actually all the sale cattle, uh, commercial heifers, and crossbred steers, which we went to a couple years ago. And, and you can watch the uh, upcoming uh, announcements that are going to be made on our website and social media, but we're going to expand that, and we're going to try to get some more cattle through the scales, through the chutes, on Thursday night, uh, both for... Uh, helping our staff that's there, our volunteers, and again, because of that ultimate goal of being done before showmanship starts on Friday evening. Good. Well, showmanship on Friday evening uh, is going to start off. Um, do you have the names of the judges this year? I've been getting a lot of phone calls about that. Yeah, I do. Uh, two sets uh, of uh, husband and wife teams, Craig and Stephanie Steck from Nebraska, and Andrew and Emily Foster from Michigan, they'll serve as your showmanship judges for this year's event. Both of those couples will work really well with the kids and should be a good experience for them. Yeah. The Livestock Judging Contest is also going to happen on Saturday morning, and it's going to look a little bit different. Uh, we're still going to have registration at 7 in the morning. We're going to try to run all the classes, all six classes at the same time, uh, to make sure that we maximize the spacing uh, for those contestants and overall time-wise it is going to work well. For those of you that are bringing teams, the safety and health plan has been turned in. So contest-wise, you do not need to do that, coaches. Uh, just 
fill out a, a safety form for your travel, but not the event, and it has been uh, approved. Now, the trade show is also going to look a little bit different and moved uh, this year. You want to tell us about that? Uh, sure would, Matt, and uh, it is, and, and we're actually excited about it. We were kind of bummed out at first uh, because of social distancing, space requirements, and so forth. The trade show will not be around the outside of the show ring this year. It will be moved over to the Pop Weaver Youth Arena, which gives us a very, very large space. Uh, we were able to expand the number of trade show exhibitors that we have. Uh, talking to Joe Moore today, uh, I think we have just a couple of 10 by 10s left. And other than that, it's sold out. So tremendous amount of interest and look forward to the vendors uh, being there and hopefully having a good turnout. Good. Anything else we need to know about Hoosier Beef Congress no, at this uh, time? No. Obviously, we'll keep you informed as any changes may happen. Again, we can't uh, we can't predict the future. We're very positive. Uh, we feel very good about the plans and changes that we have uh, in place already and, and may add some more, and we're looking forward to a great event. In other upcoming programs and events, we've got regional beef meetings that are going virtual this year. And we're going to have one statewide meeting to be held on Tuesday, January 10th at 7 p.m. This is a free live stream program that will be recorded for later viewing. Watch for program registration details. The Indiana Beef Cattle Convention is currently scheduled as an all-day in-person event and will be held at the Hendricks County Fairgrounds on Saturday, January 23rd in Danville, Indiana. The National Western Cattle Show has been moved this year to Oklahoma City. The event is being called the Cattleman's Classic, and most of the major beef cattle breeds have moved their national shows to this event. It will be held January 2nd through the 17th, and I posted in show notes below the URL for more information on the Cattlemen's Congress. In other upcoming events, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Annual Convention and Trade Show, scheduled for early February, has been rescheduled for August 10 through 12 in Nashville, Tennessee. Again, I posted in show notes below a URL for convention information. As we conclude this edition of Beef Monthly, we'd like to wish everyone a very happy Thanksgiving. Please stay safe and healthy. This presentation was a production of the Animal Science Department at Purdue University.